0: Welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel, and you are officially the second guest in the Mindful Hunter studio. Thanks for having me. I think uh, Spencer is the only other person who's been in here. So for those of you who don't recognize Simon, you've been on the podcast once before. You're a buddy of mine from the archery range. Although funnily enough, we have like past history, but... We didn't actually cross paths. Yeah. We just have a lot of very mutual friends from a weird music background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we're actually here to talk about today is your first archery buck. But I thought some interesting background and stuff would be would be interesting first. So we've spent the past couple of visits restringing your compound bow. Yep. Which is a pretty rewarding experience. For sure, yeah. Like uh, that was, I've I've restrung mine once before. Is that the first one you've restrung? The first
1: one I've actually done myself, yeah. 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 I guess uh, not myself, but with your help. Yeah, I'm mean, close enough. Yeah, aside from taking it to a shop and having them restring it, right?
0: And we're both of the opinion that the shops are kind of shit yeah. here in
1: Vancouver mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, as far as hunting goes.
0: Okay, I, I think that's the perfect that's the perfect qualification because I think there, I think Bormas is like a great recurve shop. And I think just shooting arrows is like a satisfactory archer, like a target shop. But when you don't know hunting, there's just so many things you're not taking into account when you're servicing people's bow Mm -hmm. that it's like, it's, it's pretty shitty. Like I can remember he didn't even, I remember getting my like 80 pound bow home and it was like drawing 68 pounds (laughs) And he's like, well, I couldn't draw it back. So I didn't put a weight on it. And I'm like, well, you have a draw board, put Mm -hmm. your scale on your draw board. You know what I mean? And he's like, oh, I I don't believe in paper tuning. And I said, well, because you don't have to shoot a fucking broadhead. Yeah. I wouldn't believe in paper tuning either. If all I ever shot was field points, what would be the point? Waste of time. Yeah. Totally. Um, So it was pretty rewarding to, to restring the compound bow. I kind of have this like little dream of starting a hunting archery shop.
1: Yeah, be, in Vancouver. It would definitely fill a niche. I think so. Yeah,
0: I think so. Apparently that one in Kelowna is pretty decent. Yeah. I think it's called hardcore archery.
1: Borman has definitely come a step up since have they've they? got, since they've got Nathan. He's definitely okay. brought them into into the new the new millennium or whatever, you know. But. Right. Yeah, but before it was definitely, uh, it was a struggle there.
0: I've never, I've only went there once and it was some, it was a, it was a woman. Uh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember what her <laughs> name is. She's an interesting character, man. Yeah. She's pretty full on. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so let's do a quick recap of your background. So how mm-hmm. long you've been hunting for now?
1: I believe this was my fourth season. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is your first archery buck. Yes, sir. Okay, well let's let's get it on the table. Let's hear the fucking story.
1: <laughs> so, um, I guess I should I should start back because the story doesn't, do. the story doesn't start this October. This, the story never starts at the beginning. No. So, like the the first couple times I went out hunting, I definitely did have a deer tag in my pocket. I was kind of you know whatever I could. Kill. I yeah. was, I was, and you, you know, just for for everybody's, you only archery hunt. I only archery hunt. Yep. Yeah. Um, So I essentially went out with tags for whatever I could hunt in the area and was open to killing whatever I could in the area. Yep. But it's not like I was targeting a specific species. I wasn't going after mule deer in this specific area, you know? So I, I killed a couple of bears my first, uh, my first three years. I managed to kill bears, but no, no deer. Um, my third year, I did, um, Go out specifically for mule deer with another guy it wasn't you know to fill my own tag i had a tag uh we were out for like the 8th and the ninth, i guess uh i think we went out there the night of the 8th of september so the end of archery season right okay um so i hunted the morning of the ninth. i i did stumble into a group of deer um i just kind of went for a poke around at first light and uh i heard a stick snap yeah, I was just still hunting through the the, the valley bottom, basically. I uh, heard a stick snap look up, and there's a doe like 30 yards from me. Um, she's kind of watching me, but she's not spooked at all yet. So I just watched her, let her be- go back about her business. I just kept watching because it's still kind of dark, you know. And as, as the light's opening up, I'm seeing, oh, there's another deer, and there's another one. And I'm looking at all of them. I don't see any headgear. I said, oh, these are all does, okay. And then I did see headgear on one. It was a two-point. And um, so I said, okay, let me – let me try and get in on this guy. He was kind of behind a tree, but I, I thought, let me be aggressive. I'll go around, you know, try and try and just cut the distance and, and get a shot on him. And so, um, I did, I did cut quite a bit of distance and then I stepped on a stick or whatever and he started off and I thought, okay, that's it, you know, but the does didn't start off. They, they were still chilling there. So I was just hanging out watching the does. I thought maybe I'll see how close I can get to these does. Cause I, f- I figured the deal was done on that buck. Sure. Um, and then I looked up on the hillside there. He's waiting for the does. You see him, these, you know, maybe 80 yards away from me or something. And I thought, okay, so it's, it's not over yet. And so I was still creeping up on these does, getting closer and closer to the does. Finally, the does kind of, they got a little bit iffy. They didn't spook, but they started heading up towards that hill. And he's still standing on that hill saying, you know, thinking, hurry up, ladies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they kind of start walking up towards him and I managed to cut the distance. I, I figured I'm just going to be aggressive. I'm going to pace it off. I ranged him. Um, I believe he was whatever he was. He was 58 or something like that. I wanted to be within 45. I knew okay. I wanted to be 45 or under. So I paced it off. I, I counted my steps. I said, OK, I'm 45 yards away from this guy. I drew back. He let me draw back. I, I floated my pin. And so I didn't know at the time, but I was dealing with a little bit of target panic. I wasn't shooting a thumb release at the time. I was shooting a a slapper. Yeah. And um, so I guess, you know, as soon as the, the pin hit those vitals, you know, I... Probably slapped it good. Yeah. And I saw that arrow just sail right in front of him. Luckily, you know, it didn't, didn't wound him or anything like that. As soon as it hit the ground, they all took off. That was super cool to watch. You know, that was my first shot on a buck. I felt the, you know, the hard going was not the same at all as, as drawing back on a bear. I I, I realized that right away.
0: Antlers do something weird, right?
1: (sighs) Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's a different kind of adrenaline, Yeah, you know, because it's, it's like it, you've got that high stakes. Like, I don't want to mess this up, but it's not the same as a bear when a bear is 20 yards away from you huffing at you, you know? Um, but yeah, so that was my, my first opportunity, real opportunity at a buck. And, uh, I thought, okay, that was, that was kind of fun. So we continued the hunt for, uh, for Brad. That was the end of archery season. That was the last day we hiked in and, and did Brad's hunt. I did a short film on that. Um, but that kind of, you know, got me, okay, I'm interested in these mule deer here, you know, let me me try and learn a little bit more about (laughs) these. And I thought Brad was a good guy to learn from, you know, he's been hunting mule deer for quite a while, you know, it's always good to have a mentor, uh, you know, especially a species specific mentor. Um, So I went back out there again um, this fall, uh, end of October. um, And I think I, I drove out on the 25th of October so October 26th was going to be our first morning hunting. This is the same area we hunted last year for his buck. He knows it very well. It's you know, 30 minutes from his house so he can hunt that spot, you know, five days a week if he wants after work, before work, whatever. Um, so we hiked in there. Um, it was still dark, you know, uh, he, he was saying like "This, this spot right here in particular, we could see deer anytime and I have seen deer in there with him. So, I mean, took his word for it. Let's, let's creep, Real slow here. And um, yeah, we crept into a little where it starts to open up on the hillside. And uh, we start glassing and we saw three deer on the hillside. It was still too dark to even make out if they had any headgear or anything. They were probably 120, 150 yards away, a little bit of a distance. Okay. But uh, we were thinking, well, if there's there's deer right there, they're not the only deer around, you know, yeah. there could be deer anywhere here. So let's just hang tight and, and let the light open up a mm. little bit more. And so, as the light starts opening up, we realize there's a buck 40 yards from us, you know, and he's just standing there. And uh, so, I got an arrow on my string. He said he had told me it was 31 meters. He shoots in meters, I shoot in yards. So, that's okay. a little bit confusing, but it's not a lot of math to and do. And at
0: 30, you're, it's not the end of the world. No, I, like,
1: I, I thought in my head, 31, that's 34 yards. I'll just shoot it for 35. Yeah. But then he said to me, Do you need an accurate range? And at the time I was kind of like, well, he just gave me a range. <laughs> like you know? what other
0: kind of range is there?
1: I saw you range the thing like, okay, but yeah, sure. I, I said, yes. And so he gets in his range finder again. He's clicking it. He's clicking it. He's not saying anything. And I, I drew my bow back and I kind of rise up because I was crouched down and I'm drawn back. I'm anchored, you know, I'm floating my pin right on this buck while I was splitting my, my 30 and my 40 for 35, right? Yeah. And he's not saying anything still. And I'm like, well, I like my sight picture, you know? It's 35 or 34 or whatever, you know, I just started pulling back on my release. And I, I saw that lighted knock just sail, sail, sail. And it dropped, like, looked to me like it dropped low okay. into his elbow. And I thought, oh man, so he was farther, you know. Right. And then he, you know, he was still in his range finder when I shot. So he kind of, he didn't even get to watch the arrow fly, you know. he He saw that it looked to him like it hit low as well. Yeah. So we're both kind of thinking, oh man, like we almost had it sealed you know, the deal was sealed. Like first thing in the morning, right? All day to do the processing and stuff. Now we got yeah. a rodeo. And so it, the, the <coughs> buck just ran off. We, we didn't see where exactly he ran to, kind of heard crashing for a little bit. And uh, so basically we put a plan together that that Brad would skirt around and try and either get his wind on the deer or get eyes on the deer. And I would watch and try and see where he where he runs and hopefully watch where he beds down again and stalk in for a second shot. Yeah. And uh, so I'm thinking, yeah, man, this is going to be a rodeo of a day, kind of hunker in here. And so Brad Brad starts going up or or actually we both started walking back up the trail and we caught a glimpse of my lighted knock lying in the, in the brush there. And he said, okay, you you stay here and watch your, watch your arrow. I'm going to try and get my wind on him or whatever and, and watch, see if he, see if he runs off, watch where he beds. So I'm watching that knock and he's walking up and it feels like it's taking forever all morning, right? Probably took 30 seconds, but in my mind, this took hours. Yeah. Um, and then I hear him yell, Simon. And as soon as I heard him yell, I knew, I knew it was a done deal, but I didn't want to admit to myself. So yeah. i like, yeah. And he's like, come get your fucking buck. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was, that was awesome. So that- what, the f- what, what happened? Okay. So. The buck was uphill from me, and yeah. so that it was a perfect hit. Drilled him right through the center of the lo- or the, of the heart. Yeah, um, but that knock was sticking out just a little bit, f- like downhill. Uh, okay. Right, so that lighted knock was sticking out right about here. It looked like it hit him in the elbow, but it was a perfect hit right in the heart. Okay, okay. So it, it just kind of fooled us for a minute there. Wild. That, that's that's the fun of bow hunting, though. You know, I. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it was cool too because um, I. I started walking up towards my buck and and walked up to my buck, you know, checked out my buck for the first time and got to take that in and everything. And he, I didn't realize he was filming all of that. So like, you okay. know, I, That was totally just a cool, candid moment of, you know, I got to, I got to watch that after like my reaction to walking up on my first buck. That was kind of cool.
0: And what did you think when you walked up on it? Like as far as size and everything goes, like body shape? I was,
1: I was happy. I was happy. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, I had, I had drawn back on another, on a spike buck last year, last October and I just wasn't feeling it, you know, like the, I remember the, that. the shot opportunity wasn't, it Weren't wasn't you on
0: like a cut or a pipeline or something.
1: Uh, he was kind of like in a little, uh, it wasn't a cut. It was like almost a little swampy area with, okay. with really tall grass. Okay. And he, the grass was basically up to his up to his necks, you know. So I could have shot him right in the throat. I had a visible shot of it of his throat. I didn't want to take that shot. No. Um. I couldn't see exactly what angle his body was, so I was like, I could just you know drill him like he's frontal, but I don't know exactly. He could be sideways, you know. Yeah. Um. And also he's just a spike, you know. I was kind of thinking yeah. like eh, this. Is, I don't need the meat that bad, right? Yeah. Like I mean, I'm hunting for meat, but I'm not gonna starve if. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. So I would like to take at least a buck that's, you know, had a season or two under his belt. Right. So this was a two and a half, three and a half year old deer. I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on aging, but you know, it was a decent little buck, you know, yep. he had a huge neck on him. He was already nice and swole up for the, for the rut. And he was, yep. uh, actually this was the coolest part of the story. Um, Brad had sent me a picture probably two weeks before. And he said, this buck's 11 yards from me. Could, could you hit this guy with your bow? And I was like, man, that's a decent little buck, you know, like I I would love for a buck like that to stand still for me for a shot. And um, he took a little video of that buck too, like a 30 second video, because you couldn't really tell in the picture. You could just kind of see, you know, he had a decent little frame on him. Um, But I went through that video frame by frame and that was actually the buck I shot. So that was kind of cool. Wow. Everything comes full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that buck was just hanging out there in that burn and yeah. Yeah,
0: It was funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a meat eater podcast, and I don't know it doesn't have anything to do with mule deer, but apparently a coos doe lives in an 800 meter circle. Wow. Her whole life. That's incredible. That's crazy. (laughs) Like less than a kilometer. Yeah. And the bucks go further, but because the bucks are so driven by doe behavior when it comes to the rut, because, and I've done enough coos hunting that I, I concur with their, assessment that when you see a coos buck, you're going to keep seeing him in the same spot over and over and over again. Right. Unless something crazy happens. Yeah. Um, Sorry, my phone just, uh, anyways, Um, it, yeah, unless something crazy happens like a, like a coyote or a, a cougar or something like completely chases them out. They'll mm. be in the same spot again
1: and again and again. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing I found about mule deer like okay, so here's some interesting differences in my experience between like mule deer, black-tailed deer and white-tailed deer. Like when you blow out a white-tailed deer, like it's just gone. Mm-hmm. Like it just leaves the county. Mule deer are seem to be a little slower to run away. And they like will always give you like the, the look check, back, yeah. Right, like they'll go up to the ridge and they'll stop. Yeah, and lots of times that so that can be an opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then they tend to double back, and the blacktail are are notorious for that. Like you're almost if you bump something, you're almost better off to just sit down. Yeah, because I feel like the deer is going to come back eventually. Mm-hmm. Did I t- did ever tell you? I've told you the story about the bear that I shot and it came back. I'm not sure. So I was hunting up in Prince George, and there was this target bear. I'd seen him two nights in a row, and he's a giant bear. I call him Chevron because he has like a white chevron right on his chest. He's huge. Saw him two nights in a row, and the, the field that he was in gets flooded. So I was going back in for the third night, and it had been raining for like three days in a row. And Lander mm-hmm. told me if you see that bear again. I shoot him because you're gonna get flooded out of that field, and and you won't. And I had my gun and my bow with me, so I was like, okay. So I go back in there, and yeah, right at you know feeding time, six thirty, seven. This giant bear comes back out of the, and I have this whole thing on film. It's crazy. This uh, this giant bear comes comes out of the woods, and he's like eating on the fringe, and I'm in this big meadow, like big meadow, like. Couples football field size meadow, like things giant. Yeah. It wasn't even a meadow. It's like an old farmer's field. It's like all grown over down on like a river valley bottom. And uh, so this bear, I t- and it's pissing rain, right? And I took a bad shot. I didn't even, I, it was worse than a bad shot. My scope was out too. Was that the one where you kind of hit him in the
1: ass? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I'll finish the story yeah. simply because people are listening yeah. and now they're going to be. They're
1: invested. They're invested. Yeah.
0: But I, I take a shot at this bear and like, I see like the water erupt off the bear. So like, I think I hit the bear. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the bear goes crashing off into the woods, which is like the worst thing in the world. Yep. Like you're just like, oh God, like I Here we don't, go. great. Now I got to go wade through like six foot sword fern looking for a black ball of death somewhere that's <laughs> yeah. pissed off. Like mm-hmm. this is just terrible. Walked around for a good 45 minutes and found nothing, like no hair, no blood, no nothing. And it stopped raining like shortly afterwards. So I figured I would have found something. And finally, I just had this feeling. I'm like, I bet you if I pull out. Oh, and I I should also say, so what ended up happening is that I had GoPro footage of it. And I put, or no, I had phone scope footage of it. Mm. And so the whole time I'm looking around, I keep replaying this footage. And I'm finally looking at it frame by frame. And I'm like, I think I hit him in the ass. Yeah. Because at first it was confusing because where the water sprayed off of him kind of looked like where I hit him, Mm. but it wasn't. It was just a crease in his body where water kind of sprayed off. Yeah. So when I was confident that I hit him in the ass, I'm like, I'm going to pull out. Maybe he'll come back. Yeah, no shit, man. I... I go back to my spot, like two hours later, this bear comes walking out of the woods and I zoom in on him with the spotting scope and he has like a three inch bald patch on his ass. Yeah, and I was just like, this is crazy. And it was one of those things that's like wrecking your hunt. Like I can't believe, like I shouldn't have taken the shot. Like Mm -mm. it was a bad shot. And my scope did end up being out like, not crazy out, but enough. Yeah. And it was like a 350 yard shot Mm -hmm. and it was just, just everything about it was bad. And the relief that I felt when he came back out, so my hunt was still on and it was just like, and then I did look at him at the scope and I thought about taking another shot and I'm just, I can't deal with the emotional stress. Like, it's just too much, man. Like, yeah. So that was the bear that I shot. And it literally like two hours later came
1: back to where he got shot. Did it look like he was wounded or just kind of like blew some fur off just took the hair off yeah like literally yeah, just yeah. the hair
0: you can even see the white like yeah. there wasn't even any red
1: yeah yeah you gotta think i mean when these guys are walking through the woods and stuff there's blowdown, falling out of trees branches yeah. falling on them hitting them and stuff i you mean you gotta think
0: bees too i'm like yeah maybe he thought he got stung yeah. or something i don't know yeah but yeah yeah man such a trip so what's your in in hindsight or like how is this are you like more into deer now? You less into deer now? Like what, what's your, what's your plans for the year?
1: I definitely am more into deer and I want to do like some typical, like high country stuff, you know, like this, this spot is like, it's funny because it's, it's decent elevation. He mentioned to me, like, he kind of makes fun of me, all the huffing and puffing I do. And he's a lifetime triathlete, right? And i am i am ai am a, I'm a, I'm a, five rep weightlifter right yeah so uh yeah he's always making fun of me at huffing and puffing and then he like messaged me a while ago he's like i just realized you're at a huge uh disadvantage coming up here the elevation difference you know you're living at sea level in vancouver yeah. and the interior here where we're hunting you know it's not low elevation right but at the same it's not typical uh, alpine country you know it's still Pretty heavily timbered, you yep. know. It's burned, so it's less timbered than it would naturally be. Yeah. But you know, I I like to get into some nice alpine basins. You know, I've got some some spots in mind that I'm going to try and scout hard this summer, and you know, at least try and put something together in September. I I, I know I'm going to have to fail a few times before I get a, a legit stock, you know, to, to come together. But yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Failing and and learning from your failures.
0: Yeah, man, hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And if you go into it ready to fail and you succeed, all, all the better. Yeah.
0: So what's your year look like for Hunts then? Do you got anything, you got anything planned? You going to do some spring bear?
1: Definitely going to do a lot of spring bear. Um, yeah. I don't have anything like concrete planned, but I mean, I'm just going to try and get out as, as many long weekends and stuff as I can. Uh, yeah. May is my best time, like in, in my spot. Yeah. Um, Early May, it starts to get really good, so I'm okay. gonna try and get out probably every weekend in May. Uh, take a couple days off work here and there. Get out to the interior with Brad. Um, his area is nice for for bears. It's does it's not as densely populated with bears as my area, but um, there's more moose elk deer you know you see it's fun to see that stuff in the in the spring yeah, because I, you know the the pressure is off like you're not in hunting mode right right you can just enjoy the moment or take photos or whatever you know it's it's not why like, do you only see them when you can't kill them that's all. the that's way it think. goes that's the way it always yeah. goes for me if i want to go out and hunt deer there's bears all over if i want to go out mm. hunt, hunt bears you know everything in velvet is, is crawling mm. around yeah but ah, it's fun to see, you know, the, the, everything's fresh, you know, the new cubs and and new fawns, new calves, you know, it's, it's cool seeing all the, all the new growth. You know, I love spring in the mountains. Uh, the, the, the tops of the mountains are all, you know, white and contrasted up.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I love spring, man.
0: When you'll take your boy with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll definitely take him How on a couple he trips. Now? He's 12. He's going to be 13 in August.
0: So that's pretty so, good, man.
1: Yeah. Like. Yeah, he's getting stronger. He can pack some oh, more hold weight his own, you know what I yeah. mean?
0: Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember being 13 and doing like interior canoeing trips with my mom and stuff. And like you're you're a legitimate help
1: at that point. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're you're not baggage yourself. Yeah, you're yeah. you're you're carrying a load, yeah.
0: Crazy. Did you hear about this uh, moose and caribou thing? No. Oh my god, man. What a shit show. So I'm probably speaking out of turn because there's supposed to be an official announcement last week. But the like 10,000 foot view or the Coles notes here are that there was some treaties in the Northeast or there's some First Nations in the Northeast and like the Treaty 8 region that went to court because they thought because of the extreme resource extraction, their hunting rights had been infringed upon Mm -hmm. and they won in the court case. So you would think the natural response would be a reduction in resource extraction activities like mining, oil, and gas. Well, apparently last week, the province had a closed-door meeting with the two bands and offered to remove all resident hunting for moose and caribou from regions 6 and 7. Interesting. Which is like half- the province. Mm -hmm. And so the rumor was that potentially all moose in six and seven, or the rumor was in seven B, all moose was going to move to LEH. Hmm. No more over the counter tags. Yeah. And that they were going to remove the caribou hunt entirely. Hmm. And then I'd applied for a permit to a company for my old man to come on a caribou hunt in six. And the weird part was They got back to me Monday about his application and it's being held because apparently there's some decision regarding caribou Mm. in the Skeena that depending on the decision that they make, there may be no caribou hunt. Hmm. And that's over in six. Yeah. So now it looks like maybe they'll get rid of the caribou hunt entirely from both sevens and-
1: region six. I continue with the resource extraction. Correct. Hmm.
0: And so they've used our hunting rights yeah. as a negotiation tactic to keep the oil and gas extraction at the same levels it's always been at. Mm-hmm. And I heard another rumor that what they're actually going to be doing is turning the hunting management over to the first nations, hmm. which coming from a background in forestry is is actually easier to believe than you would think because they do it with forestry all the time. Yeah. Like there's crowned land that typically the province would manage like BCTS, British Columbia timber sales mm-hmm. would be the stewards of that particular land. And they would decide, you know, what's getting logged and they're, they're limited by annual cuts that are kind of like handed down by the province. But, they're the ones who are in charge of like selling it and keeping the funds and the money goes back into the province. But there's lots of areas in British Columbia where those logging rights on, on public land have been given to the First Nation bands in that area. And then the First Nations are the ones who manage those logging rights. Yeah. And decide how much gets cut and who cuts it and if it goes up for sale. And they keep all the money from it. And they're also responsible to like uh, do all the road rehab and all the stuff that a typical licensee would be responsible for. Mm -hmm. But it it happens all over the place in forestry. Yeah. So like them saying, this is your land because you have a treaty for it. So you are responsible for managing the hunting rights on this land. I'm like, I remember some, it was actually my taxidermist told me that like two years ago, he was friends with like a big wig in fish and game, and he told me that's what was eventually going to happen. And I was like, Get the fuck out of here, man. And I'm, I'm not trying to like, I don't want to freak out because who knows? It could all just be like horse shit. Mm-hmm. But what tripped me out was right after British Columbia Wildlife Federation came out with this video exposing all this, I get this email about my old man. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay, well, that's just too weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I've talked to the executive director at. BC Wildlife Federation, and he's going to come on the podcast. But we want to wait for this notice to come out from the province yeah. first, because otherwise, you're just kind of pissing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Like, who really knows what's happened? You know yeah. what I mean?
1: What a time to be alive. But
0: there's a shit
1: going on in this fucking country, man. Like, yeah. it's just wild. Yeah, it makes you want to flee to the mountains.
0: A hundred percent, man.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. When you do, when you, it's funny, cause people say that stuff all the time, but then yeah. like when you actually do like back country trips, even just for five days or whatever, you know, it's like, you realize how hard it would actually be to, to, you know, scrape a living together out there. It's oh, like, yeah. that's a funny thing to say, but. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, well, you also underestimate how like disassociated, how quickly you get disassociated from. Oh, everything. for sure. Yeah. I remember my goat hunt last year. I came out and I'd forgot about COVID. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. didn't even consider it. Like I literally got to the,
1: for? to
0: the, um, Meziad Junction mm-hmm. outside of Stewart and I go to get gas and there's all these signs everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, what the, f-? I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> there's a global pandemic. Then yeah. I hadn't even thought about it being stuck in the woods.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You forget about those hot showers mm. quick enough, I guess. Yeah, man. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah.
0: You like the backcountry hunting the most too.
1: I do. Yeah. I find that the most rewarding. Yeah. Like, you know, it's nice to go out to Brad's and be able to, you know, yeah, take a hot shower in the morning and go have a few cold beers out of the fridge at the end of the day, but it's different. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's rewarding in its own way, but it's like even a backcountry hunt where you don't come back with anything. It's rewarding, you know, Yeah, it's uh, the experience in itself. I mean, people go backpacking all the time and they don't hunt, right? Like it's, it's a rewarding experience to come out with an animal That's, that's just the icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, man. I'm this, I'm the same way. I think backcountry hunt, like I used to be pretty, I don't know if you would call it ethnocentric, like pretty firmly rooted in my belief that like the way I like to hunt is better than the way that everybody else likes to hunt. Mm -hmm. And I've changed my opinion on that. I think all hunts can serve a different purpose. Yeah. Like I think the weekend whitetail tree stand hunt The after work cruising, logging roads, looking for black bear hunts, the 10 day solo mountain sheep hunts, like they're all equal Mm -hmm. in their like huntingness, you know, but I think you need to be like, what am I hoping to get out of this hunt? Like for me, what's the purpose of this hunt? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm planning this 14 day solo sheep hunt in August and it's partly like vision quest type shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yes, I'm trying to kill a sheep. And yes, the ultimate goal, like at the top of the list, mm-hmm. it's like kill a sheep. Yeah. But there's a lot of other stuff that's going into it and a lot of other like mini goals. There's the macro
1: goal and the micro goal.
0: Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Cause I've thought about it. Like there's a couple dudes I was kicking around asking to come with me and to be, I would probably increase my likelihood of Ash sheep getting killed. Yeah. You never really know which one of you is going to be, you know, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But, but when I keep going, what I keep coming back to is the fact that, well, that's not what this hunt is like. This is, I, I kind of made this commitment to myself that I was going to have one big solo hunt Mm -hmm. per year. Yeah. And because I canceled my goat hunt this year, the only other hunt on the calendar that was really. Possible to turn into a solo hunt was my sheep hunt mm-hmm. because I was supposed to go with Spencer and then Spencer had to work. So it was like, so yeah, I'm probably making it more difficult than I need to, but it's because I have this like other set of goals that I'm trying to achieve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the story of my hunting career, man. Making it more difficult than it has to be. But yeah, that's everything I do. I, I make everything more difficult than it has to be because I know that's going to pay off more, you know? I mean, yeah. that's just almost a universal fact of life. You know, the harder you work for something, the more hard you, the more challenging, the more you challenge yourself, you know, yeah. just the more, the greater the reward is going to be at the end of the, the road. Right.
0: Have you ever hunted outside of BC? Never. Dude, hunting in BC is hard. Yeah, like there's that, this like belief that like, we're like the land of plenty. And it's like, it's not. Well, we have a lot of opportunity.
1: Yes. But it's, yeah, it, it, that's like the opportunity to have a tag in my pocket. Whereas other guys, you know, talk about going out and seeing 15, 20 deer in a day, yeah. you know, in a basin. Yeah. And it's like, you don't, you might go three, four days here and not see a damn deer. Yeah. You know, it's.
0: Yeah. I also think BC is one of these places where it takes a really long time to figure it out. For sure, yeah. So you're dealing with people with like these generational advantages mm-hmm. that like, you know, the Musco comes to mind. Like there's, my cat's probably about to jump up on you. Hello, sir. This is Percy. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think about the Muskwa or places like this yep. where... Um, <laughs> It's hard to compete, man. Yeah. Because these guys have been hunting this same area year after year after year. Mm -hmm. And they know exactly where to go. They go in and they get their elk every year. And I don't begrudge these guys, but it's almost like it has made me kind of shift my maybe perspective on what it takes to be a successful hunter Mm -hmm. in British Columbia. Like I almost think the way we're approaching it Not only is it harder for all the reasons that we've already described, I think it's also less likely to lead to success because the way British Columbia is built, like I think you're better off like just really getting to learn like one particular area.
1: And it's tough because it's such a huge province and it's like, you know, you, you could be scouting your one little spot that you're scouting and then you just slip on, on whatever Bing maps, whatever you're using, you know, and uh, all of a sudden you're in this other really cool base and it's like, shit, this is just across the valley. Yeah. That's a whole nother place I can explore and it gets dangerous, man. But that's the, the nice part about BC is, is. I believe that uh, that the hunting for the most part is, is much more spread out. Like when you talk to a lot of guys in the U S they're talking about running into three, four, five, six hunters in a day, you know, just out hunting the same patch of land. Right. Yeah. I don't run into anybody where I am, you know, like I, I I packed out that bear full on my back and I had guys saying like, Oh, you should have put flagging tape all over that thing. And it's like, you don't understand where I hunt, you know, like I've never seen a soul in there. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, I I guess you could, I don't know. different uh it's completely different vibe than other places where they where where they get you know a week too they get like a week of hunting season and they're all jam-packed in with each other you know like I I guess maybe some places might get like that for archery season here, but I don't even see people out in in archery season generally. You know, you'll see guys on the road with a bow or something, you know, they they just listened to a Joe Rogan podcast last month, but, you know, I I don't see people out there hunting, you know, packing stuff out with a bow. It's also
0: because there's no reason.
1: Yeah, like there is no incentive. benefit, to yeah.
0: no incentive to hunt with a bow in British Columbia whatsoever. The
1: the one incentive that I can see is potentially they're going to be that you're going to see bachelor herds of bucks in the in the high country when they don't yeah. want to be scratching up their their uh, velvet, right? So you might you might have access to them that first week of September, but even then, sometimes the first of September they've already stripped their velvet. So you yep. know, some you might get a like yeah the 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 interior whitetail uh, that, late that season hunts
0: not too bad, you know. And even from being there last year, though, like the second week of that is even kind of shit. Like I, is, I didn't see a whole lot of buck yeah. or rut activity. I think that first week is probably pretty decent. But when you look at places like the states, like except for Utah, mm-hmm. if you want to hunt elk in the rut, yeah. You better pick up a bow. Yeah. There's a whole reason I picked up a bow
1: because mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to hunt elk in the rut. Yeah. And there's still something like I've done a lot of hunting in the States, and there have been places I've gone where I mean, I've run into dudes at trailheads, mm-hmm. but if I think back to all the backcountry hunts I've done, I never run into anybody there either. Yeah. People complain about a lot. I've never gone to Colorado. Mm-hmm. That place is apparently a shit show. Yeah. Um, and I know some places in Montana and Wyoming can be a shit show for places in Idaho can be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not my experience. Like I think, and everybody still says, well, everybody's willing to go hike now. You know what I mean? You still can't get away from everybody. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you kind of can, you know what I mean? Like, and I do think sometimes we're going on shittier hunts to have the experience That we want to have. Yeah. Like, I think there's probably areas that have, that are more target rich, Mm -hmm. that have more people, but they wouldn't give you that experience, that hunting experience of the, you know, the solitude and the isolation that, that you're looking to have. For sure. Yeah, man, too much. So what else is going on?
1: Not too much, man. Uh, Got to get back to practicing regularly with the bow. I kind of didn't practice a whole lot during the fall you know do you I, tend
0: to like cycle on and off I given re-
1: the time of year I really don't like I try to stay generally pretty consistent I think it was mainly like the like I'll, I'll go to the range and shoot that's fun but I mean the the best thing for me is 3D especially trail courses okay and during COVID they kind of shut those entirely down you know right. so I mean like I would still get my practice my just regular practice in shooting at the the butts at the at the range yeah but I really like the 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 trail shoots because uh, you can you You know, not only are you judging the yardage, but you're also judging the angle on the trail, the trail courses, right? You know, some of the shots, they're like 35, almost 40 yard shots, but you're using your top pin just because of how steep it is, right? Right. So, uh, yeah, it's cool to get that kind of practice in, you know, and it's fun to bring the kid out and, you know, kind of make a day of it. But uh, yeah, just the shooting at, at, at butts at the at the range, you know, I know it's crucial, yeah. but <laughs> it's just monotonous, right? It's so, not super exciting. No, I prefer the trail shoots and luckily they're, they're kind of getting back to 3Ds now. There was just a flat field at Burnaby Lake on the weekend, so went to that. And uh,
0: How was the turnout?
1: It was not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, it wasn't as busy as it has been in the past, uh, right. but I mean, yeah, it was, it was pretty decent. It's funny seeing like, you know, the the couple random people here and there wearing masks and stuff. And it's like, I don't know how you shoot, especially traditional archery. You know, I guess you could kind of. Well, that
0: would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because how are you going to feel the shit on your face? No,
1: I don't know. You know, like. I, uh, yeah, I, I went to, uh, to see Nathan to tie in my peep and stuff the other day. And, you know, he asked me to take some shots and I, I went to go draw back with the mask on and I was like, I, I can't do this. You know, I got to feel it on my nose. I got to feel it on yeah. the side of my mouth. You know, I don't know how people, especially traditional, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so much more. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Cause I did, I bought this like, um, like a ghillie hood. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first light might be called a 3d phantom or something. They yeah. had a the jacket and, uh. Do I still have, did I only buy the hood? I thought I had the jacket too. Must be gone. Now I don't know where anybody is. Anyways, I'm trailing off. Um, Yeah, but it's like this ghillie hat. So it has all this stuff like hanging off of it. Yeah. And I bring it, I have, I did bring it when I owned it on like seven or eight hunts in a row. Mm -hmm. And every time I thought about putting it on, I'm like, I can't wear this thing because like I'm, I just, I need to feel that like same anchor Mm -hmm. and I need to feel the light, like how, how much pressure the string is against my lip and like on the tip of my nose. And I was just, I'm like, okay, if it blows a shot opportunity is better to me than having a shot opportunity and then having something like that. Mm -hmm. I really learned a lot when I was, um, I wouldn't say necessarily I learned a lot, but one of the takeaways from my winter, um, uh, Whitetail hunt. A combination of the clothes I was wearing, like, significantly changed the angle mm-hmm. of like. Basically, I think there was so much fabric in this area yeah, between it pre- my shoulder. Prevents you from getting I into couldn't the... get this, so I was getting close, but mm-hmm. like all the geometry
1: had changed. Yeah, restricts your mobility. Yeah, and yeah. it
0: was and it was functionally changing like my whole shot sequence. Yeah. and I was like. I ended up having to like strip down to take the shot because yeah. I was like, I just, I can't shoot like this. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, okay, this is something you need to pay attention to next year, because if it was like minus 20 outside, like yeah. you're limited into how many clothes you're going to be able to take off. And especially with whitetail, it's not like you can wait until you have the shot opportunity and then start taking clothes off. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to blow them out. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was uh, luckily enough when I did take my shot It was kind of like midday and a bit warm and I was able to like kind of have minimal gear on anyways, but yeah, man, I'm very sensitive. Okay. A couple questions, but on that note, you've been using the kisser button.
1: The, uh, the nose button. The The nose button. button. Yeah. The Bomar nose button. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what do you, I guess the kisser is the one that goes in the corner of the mouth.
1: Yeah. And so that one I find like, I haven't used a kisser button, but I find it's like, it's a thick thing, you know? So yeah. I mean, like it could be up here, you know, like a, a millimeter of dif- uh, difference, you know, it's significant in your anchor point, you know, at longer range. Um, that nose button, I find it's, it's sharp, you know, it's like a sharp little, pinprick on the tip of your nose. And I can really feel, you know, if I just move it just a tiny little bit around my nose, I can really feel that, you know? So I, f- I think it it gives me a much more accurate anchor point on my nose, you okay. know? And I can kind of just draw back with my eyes closed, <laughs> you know, get anchored properly there. I open my eyes, I'm centered right in my peep, you know? It's I feel like it's
0: anchoring on two different axes as well. Yeah. Because you could have the string on your nose, mm-hmm. but depending on where you're anchoring, it could be like, Closer to your D loop or further away from right. your yep. D loop. It, yeah. Like you're not necessarily on the exact x and y axis of the string every time
1: i I I found the same thing about the string too it's a little bit thick you know it's it's not super thick but it's it's much thicker than that point on the nose button yeah so you know it could totally play around a little bit on my nose and i didn't know that i had that little bit of left and right variance you know
0: i listened to him on a podcast about it too and he said he was very intentional about how sharp it is yeah because it's supposed to like it's you out of of like a like unconscious thought Mm -hmm. and it's like oh no, this thing is like right there. So you're really paying attention to the anchoring it, it, of
1: it. It really prevents you too, from like digging your nose into it. Right. You know, you don't get that nose pressure because- I've seen some people do
0: that, especially yeah. with the side of the nose well, and, and
1: I'm like- And when you're at full draw, you know, if you put your bow in the press and-, and, and it That put, string in the draw board, it's, it's so flexible. I don't think people
0: understand no. that. They think that you're, but at that point with let off, mm-hmm. you might only be holding as little as 15 or 20% of the weight of that bow with yes. the string and the rest is all being held by the cables. Mm-hmm. And And the mechanical advantage of the cams. Yeah. Um, You can literally just twist that thing in your hand. Yeah. Um, And and I, yeah, that's definitely been the cause of many like um, inconsistencies in my shot Mm -hmm. is like torquing that or just introducing, you know, inappropriate pressure. Yeah. Like I'm a very much front of the nose guy and you Mm -hmm. see some people do the side of the nose thing and some people are like, aggressive man, like with how much force they put into the string. And I've always been like, I don't know how you do that and get, get like, a repeatable shot sequence.
1: Exactly. Because it all becomes just so much harder to repeat when you've got that adrenaline, Yes, you know, like it's, it's one thing to repeat it on the field when you've got all day to, you know, yeah. get into your anchor and everything. But I mean, when you've got your adrenaline pumping, like that's what I always try and think about. Like how simple can I make this in the process of, you know, my heart's jumping out of my throat, you know, how can I just simplify everything to the point where I can just go into autopilot, you know? yeah. And I mean, you can do that with the string, but I mean, you just can't feel the, the, the fine-tunedness of it, I guess.
0: Yeah. So what is your, because I was just talking about this on the podcast on Monday night. Yep. What, what is your typical practice regimen? And then when you've been out of the loop for a little while, do you do something differently as you get back into
1: like archery shape? I think the best process for me, at least uh, when I'm getting back into it, if I've I've taken some time off is um, just go right up to a target for, you know, 100 shots whatever you know like a week straight 20 25 30 shots right. every morning or whatever just blank bail with my hinge you know just yeah. get into my anchor just like I would with my thumb button and just pull 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 and not focus on rotating you know like how you how some people shoot a hinge but just pulling you know because I mean the way I, I shoot my thumb button I just get that that trigger into the the meat of my thumb there and I've got my thumb actually pushed into the 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 release so I can't yeah I can't put it off with my thumb I just have to pull just like a hinge right yeah um so I just blank bail you know just feeling that shot feeling my my back muscles do the do the shooting instead of you know my hand or anything like that um and just getting that feel and then going out to distance you know working my way out, you know, starting wherever, 30, 40 or whatever, and then working my way gradually out. And I try and do as much practice as I can with the hinge. Um, right. I, I hunt with the thumb button still stubbornly, even though I feel like. It's so like, why? So in my mind, I can get it off quicker with the thumb button, but I can't. No. And this, if you can, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the thing. It, so I like, hunt with
0: a hinge. Yeah. And here's the thing. People ask me about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, their, their response is always the same. Mm-hmm. I want the ability... To essentially, they won't say it this way, but I want the ability to punch the trigger. To slap it. (laughs) Yeah. Because every way you explain it to me, Mm -hmm. well, if it's a little windy and I need it to go off early Mm -hmm. or if I think he's going to move and I need it. And I'm like, all you're doing right now is describing punching the trigger to me. So you're saying you want to give yourself the option Mm -hmm. to make a bad shot. Mm -hmm. Because if any of those things happen and they happen outside of the timing of your shot sequence, Mm -hmm. you trying to compensate for it In your shot sequence is going to blow your fucking shot sequence. Yeah. Um, And I have found, and I'm going to, I will urge you to hunt with the, with the hinge. I have for three years now only hunted with the hinge. Yeah. And it is so natural. Mm -hmm. Like it is the weirdest thing, man. Because I only practice with it and I did the same thing you did when I first switched from an index trigger because of target panic to Joel's shot IQ, went down to his house the whole nine yards, Mm -hmm. switched over to a hinge, and I bought these. uh, It's like the True Ball Flex and the True Ball Abyss. And they're like kind of mirrored releases. A thumb and a hinge. But a thumb and a hinge. So the whole. The whole philosophy being- You can
1: swap back and forth.
0: Exactly. And yeah. the ergonomics are going to be yeah. the same and your anchor points are going to be the same yeah. and you can, and it is, I think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I was doing with the hinge, I just, I just, um, I decided I wanted to hunt with the hinge. Mm-hmm. And there's something weird, like I've, I've practiced with it so much now. Every animal- I've killed for the last three years has been with a hinge that was killed with a hinge that was killed with a hinge. All my bears, except for my first one have Mm -hmm. been killed with a hinge and something happens, man. When I come back to full draw and I like, I set it in and especially in a hunting situation, as soon as I pick my spot and let the pin float, it's almost like once my mind decides Mm -hmm. we're good pop. Okay. Like every time Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. And you hear people talk about like freaking out and like, because if you don't rotate with a hinge, it doesn't matter how much back pressure you put on it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that needs to be solved in your practice routines. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going, if you're pulling with that pinky and like, rolling through your hinge release every time you're going to replicate that Mm -hmm. when you're out in the wild. And I do like Joel's whole closed loop kind of mental, like his whole thing is you should be able to stop your shot sequence Mm -hmm. at any point along it. And that, at first that sounds rather confusing, but then when you actually stop and think about it and it's like, yeah, if you are not in complete control to the point where you can stop the chain of events at any time, mm-hmm. then you need to admit to yourself that that chain of events is out of your control.
1: Yeah, that is, that is target panic. That right is
0: there. 100% yeah. target panic. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I, I love shooting with the hinge man. So yeah. I, I highly recommend it. But I do think the thumb trigger hinge combo mm-hmm. is like the second best. Because the other thing about Shooting with a hinge, is it like, it buys you grace. Mm-hmm. Like if you shoot with a hinge all the time and you pick up its thumb button, you probably get a good 20 or 30 shots mm-hmm. before like the old habits yeah. kind of start creeping back in. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, going out and hunting with a little while and everybody's got their own thing. I'm not going to call anybody out, but... I was just amazed by how confident Mm -hmm. I was hunting with the hinge and I've never, I've never looked back.
1: Yeah. I definitely am way more confident shooting with the hinge. Yeah. So I, and I've definitely thought about hunting with it. I I think I am going to make the plunge because I mean, you can't deny better accuracy, right?
0: Well, see, and it's just like with that ghillie face mask, Mm -hmm. what happens is I always have these ideas of things I'm going to do differently on a hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And then as soon as it gets go time. Mm-hmm. I'm so nervous to do anything different than yeah. my practice routines mm-hmm. that I just, I like, I'll bring weird things to wear or different things to put on my bow or like. And but then,
1: if, if you haven't practiced with it, the confidence yeah. isn't there yet.
0: Well, he, here's another example. The first couple days I went in the stands for whitetail hunting, I took my stabilizers off. Oh shit. Cause I was thinking, oh, it's short shots. You know, I don't, Uh, I'm in a a closed quarters. This is going to make it more maneuverable. Mm -hmm. And then I took a couple shots at camp one night without my stabilizers on. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not good. Yeah. And I don't think I was a bad shot. And I think if I practiced like that long enough, Mm -hmm. I would be fine. But it was not, I was not accurate.
1: Yeah. And I think it was just because my setup felt different. I feel like any small change, like in theory, that shouldn't change your tune at all but I feel like any small change you make, like even if it's not changing yep. the tune of your bow out of a hooter shooter, you know, it might totally change the way you're gripping it or whatever, yep. right? And that could change your your tear on paper. So.
0: And I like a heavy bow. yeah, Cause that was the other thing that I noticed without my stabilizers. Like I shoot a 10 inch front bar, mm-hmm. an eight inch back bar, and probably have three or four ounces on each. Like I'm probably putting a pound or two on my
1: bow. It's going to make your float a lot slower. It's going to change. Way slower. Yeah. And that was what I noticed. It was like yeah.
0: visibly Erratic. shaking in my hand yeah. and not that like those nice smooth figure eights. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'm good with pin float or pin float and it takes a while to become comfortable yeah. with that pin float. Um But it. It was a different type of pin float. It wasn't the type that I felt comfortable with. It was very erratic.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's probably 90% a mental thing, you know, but, but that's, that's uh, 99% of hunting, you know, if you're not there mentally, you're not going to kill anything. I'm
0: still shooting with the first bow I ever bought.
1: Yeah, me too. Well, uh, not the first bow. First bow I ever took hunting. Okay. I, I bought like a Craigslist bow before that just right. to see if I liked it or whatever, right? Yeah. But yeah, first bow I seriously bought for hunting. I, yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right?
0: Well, and I'm, I'm nervous now. Like I've been talking about going down to the bow rack to buy a new bow. Yeah. Part of me is also like, I don't know, man, it kills shit. Yeah. Like, I don't know, what what else do I need? Do you you don't I mean? know any
1: different, right? No, not and, at all. Like, uh, man, you, you ever see American Sniper? Yeah. The, the rifle he had in that, you know, it's yeah. all scuffed up and dinged and stuff. I love that, man. My, yeah. my my bow's got character now after seasons, got blood on it. It's got yeah. dirt on it. You know, I love all that. Does your bow have a name? Ah, uh, no, I think I might've tried to name yeah. it once, but it never stuck. My bow's named Death Dealer. Okay. Yeah. I if think if it anything, like it's a sword killing machine. From like but... a
0: comic book, The Killing Machine. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I
1: like it. That's a good, that's a good name. Yeah. Um. Now you shoot, are you still shooting recurve? Uh, longbow, um, here and there, I kind of took a break for a while. I was having some AC joint issues in my, in my right shoulder. That's cleared up, knock on wood, uh, so far. So I should get back to practicing with that, but I just don't like diluting things too much. You know, like if I'm going to get back into focusing on on compound now and get get back in ship shape. If I had been practicing consistently all fall and everything, it'd be a different story. But I mean I got I gotta put most of my energy into that. So the longbow is kind of just a, a side project. You know, one day I'll kill something with it, but right. It, it, right now the compound's the priority.
0: And do you think there is any benefit to your compound shooting from the longbow?
1: Definitely distance. Like you start shooting better
0: with the compound further out? No, what I mean is When you're practicing longbow, Mm. is there any indirect benefit to your compound Mm.
1: shooting? Right. I definitely did see translation. Okay. Um, Like just the fact, you know, like a surprise release with a compound, you can feel a surprise release to a certain extent, but I mean, you always know it's going to go off, you know, with that first surprise release with a traditional bow, when it actually slips through your fingers, you know, and you're just pulling back. It's like, oh, okay. Like. Cause I, it's I, a
0: much more gradual process too, where it's like, it's really hard, man, even with a hinge or mm-hmm. a thumb button, like it's pretty binary. Yeah. Like it's either on or off. Mm-hmm. And even when they talk about, like, that's why I had to get away from an index release. Like Joel talks about all the time, you go loop it over and then start pulling. And I'm like, I can't, man. Like yeah. as soon as I feel it, mm-hmm. I just pull, 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 then squeeze my finger. Yeah. Like, it, like I can't
1: it just never really works or you punch it me. with your back yes. just a jerk like that correct you know? so, correct yeah so i mean with the with the with the the longbow yeah once i started really feeling that i said okay let me just translate this into what i should be feeling with the hinge you know yeah. um so that definitely helped and you know just focusing on the the spot you want to hit you know not right. the, not the area that you want to hit but like a spot you know picking just a a tuft of hair or whatever you know or an arrow point hole in the in the 3d target you know instead of like i'm going to shoot for generally the middle of the eight you know like that's because i mean in uh with a longbow you know if you're not focused on a spot a spot a spot you're going to miss the whole right. whole thing right so that kind of really like that the aim small miss small mantra you hear it all the time but yeah. i mean like when, once you kind of dial that in like oh okay aim it at just a hole in the target, you know, I get it.
0: Um, I remember there was something else from my whitetail hunt this year. It was getting kind of close to dusk the one night and there was some does kicking around and I just came to full draw a couple times just mm-hmm. to like feel it out. Yeah. And uh, it was so dark that they were just kind of like blobs. Mm-hmm.
1: And- Through your peep or like through your eyes
0: too? Through, worse through the peep. Yeah. Um, and, and like still legal, but by the time you lifted your peep, you're like, this is not ethical. What, what size do you shoot again? I think it's just a three sixteenths. Yeah. Like it's not a, it's not a big one, but Mm -hmm. it fits my housing right. Yeah. But I thought that was an interesting insight you had last week that you specifically shoot a bigger peep to let more light in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It does decrease my accuracy at longer range. Yeah. But exactly. At first light, last light, you know, I've, I've been there where I'm, you know, it's, it's getting dark and I'm like, okay, well, like I can see with my eyes. Could I see through my peep? No, I can't. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought to myself there, well, huh, like do I want that extra 10 to 20 yards of, of accuracy that I'm going to yeah. get or do I want the ability to shoot something out here to kill something you know I'm not out here to shoot paper at, at yeah. you know long range
0: the thing I really noticed about when it was dark and the body just turned into a blob mm-hmm. my confidence just utterly disappeared you don't have a
1: spot to pick I, anymore yeah, yeah and I
0: was just like you think it would be because it's kind of just like the target. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a circle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I should mm-hmm. be able to just put my pin in the middle of that shape. Yeah. It's not like that.
1: No, not at all. You can't do
0: that. Cause as soon as you lose, cause if you're trying to reference the outside of the shape, then you're not looking at your pin. No. You're looking at the outside and then you're trying to gauge. Exactly. Like oh, Okay. I need to be this far down from here. And then all of a sudden all this weird mental math is going on. Mm-hmm. And I think our brain is wired like our high level of accuracy comes from the ability to match up the pin with the small spot. Mm -hmm. And that's why I even think I don't even like splitting pins Mm -hmm. because it's the same thing. Like gap shoot it like between the two. I don't even like doing that, Mm you know, and I won't, as I I try very hard to not be in situations where I have to do that.
1: Um, Would you ideally then slide your, you got a slider?
0: I do have a slider. Um, I would aim High or low. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's what I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. Like instead of, instead of splitting the the 30 and the 40, Mm -hmm. I will take the 30, let's say he's 35, and I'll put it on the top of his back. Right. And what I've done before is I'll, I will split the pins to see where they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, so that's where the 30 is gonna be for Mm -hmm. this to be in the middle. Yeah. And then I will just use the 30 and aim the 30 because I, again, having that pin located on that actual spot. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think people realize how hard it is to shoot on an animal after shooting at a target. Yeah. It's so, you feel so confident shooting at a target. Like it's bright colors. There's lots of contrast mm-hmm. you're like, and then when you get out in the real world and like black bears are notorious for this, man. Yeah. like it's so, even with a rifle, mm-hmm. it is so hard. Cause they just soak in light. Yeah. And then you're trying to pick something out and you look through your rifle scope and you're just, it's just this abyss
1: mm-hmm. of black. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and when you're used to shooting at 3D's, you know that the the vitals are generally in the roughly the same area on all those 3D targets. But I mean, depending on what angle an animal is standing at, that might be not even a kill. If you you know you you eleven the guy, it's not even a kill, right?
0: Yeah, I always thought it was interesting. I heard guys on a podcast one time saying, "3D shoots should." like compensate for what an actual kill shot would be given the angle, mm-hmm. because like you're saying, you know, let's say it's a severe quartering away from up above. You might be actually shooting in through the neck yeah, in order to go through the vitals, yeah, but that wouldn't get you any points mm-hmm. because you got to hit those, those little circles. You yeah.
1: Know I mean? So often what I'll do at the 3d shoots, you know, if they, if they sometimes they'll have something really quartering away and yeah, I shoot for a score. Yeah. But, you know, that one's obviously going in here and coming out the front. It's touching nothing. Yeah. Um. Then I'll shoot for an actual how I would kill it, you know, and then right. go up to the target and look. Okay, so I hit him way back here, but it came, if it came right through him, it's going through both lungs and it's perfect, you know, yeah. it's coming out right here. Love it. So that's, it's kind of something I think about at 3Ds, you know, yeah, it takes me an extra arrow or whatever. I, I just yeah. shoot them all for fun. You know, some guys get hype up about the score and getting their, their, 30 cent ribbon at the end of the day but I mean I just want to shoot for fun make sure yeah. that I'm still killing stuff make sure my yardage judging is acceptable you know yeah so
0: no I think that's a good that's a great idea the other thing that I want to do this year because I do have a late season white tail hunt in Alberta the last two weeks in November is do a lot more elevated shooting yeah because yeah, your yeah. kill zones are completely different for sure and you're gonna have to do some that's the other reason I like a high-powered heavy, a high power bow with a heavy arrow. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to come down through the spine or, you know, through the upper rib cage to get vitals. Cause he's right underneath you. Yeah. I like, guess not something I want to be
1: doing but with it, with a lightweight setup for sure. And the, the first kind of instinct a lot of people have when something is down below them is to point their bow down and draw up like yes. that, you know, but you're going to change your, your whole. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something to kind of like a lot of the time at the 3d shoots, they'll have at least one or two targets where it's like a yard or two in front of you, just right down on the ground. Wow. So for that, yeah, you have to draw back straight and yeah. then tip at the Lean hip, you know? It. Yeah, exactly. And so, and those are funny too, because it's, it's right in front of you. You would think, okay, use my top pin, but sometimes you're using your 60, yeah. you know, because it's, it's still arcing. Yeah. So that's yeah, it's, it's, yes, yeah, it's good, good to know exactly what your bow is doing though at different distances. Cause some guys, you know, they go to shoot at something and it's at two feet or whatever, right? Well, that's and, the other
0: thing most people don't realize is that when you get closer, you actually start working down pins. Mm-hmm, like yeah. when I'm in my garage, I'm like using my 50 yeah. for five yards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it the, the, the arc yeah. hasn't even started to happen exactly. yet. So it hasn't got up to where it would be at the 20 yard pin, which is most people's lowest pin. Yeah. Have you shot yours through a chrono at all? Never. No. No. Yeah. I want to get one. Yeah. Oh, they shot my rifle through a chrono. It was funny. I got the um, custom turret for my rifle today. Okay. And on the top of the turret, it's got the bullet, the bullet weight, the bullet speed, the bullet everything. So now when I shoot a range, I literally just dial that turret to the distance. Okay. So I don't have to do like MOA conversion or milli round oh, conversion. Oh, that's solid.
1: Any of that kind it's, of shit. It's essentially a fixed pins or as, 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 yeah, fixed pin slider. Yeah. 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 Like I literally just dial,
0: well, no, it's a fixed pin slider that takes into account. No, you're right. Because I still need the range finder to do the, the cut. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's exactly, yeah. yeah, it's exactly like that.
1: What range finder are you using?
0: It is a Leupold... TBR 1400. Okay. It's only $200. Solid. It's incredible. It has a bow setting. Yeah. Which automatically does the cut for you. Yeah. It has a line of sight setting, which will do nothing except tell you the slope distance, like how far it literally is Mm -hmm. from one thing to another thing. And then TBR is true ballistic range so then it will tell you the horizontal distance which is the distance accounting for the angle and if you punch in the like the load that you're using yeah it will tell you either in millirad or MOA how many like 1.2 or 1.4 yeah. so that my other scope is set up on just millirad so um i uh then i just dial the turret to whatever it needs to be but it's in millirads not in Yards. Yeah. I just realized that's a pain in the ass. Cause I now have one scope that's in yards and MOA. Mm-hmm. And I have another scope that's in meters and
1: millirads. Mm. That gets confusing. Which right? is kind of annoying. Yeah.
0: But I guess you're only ever going to use one at once. And my thing was I wanted the second rifle for when I go hunting with my old man and my brother. Yeah. And I kind of always figured I was going to need to pick up a second range finder. Mm-hmm. Cause like what good is two rifles without two range finders? Right. Cause you can't yeah. split up anyways. It's
1: always handy to have a second dude with a range yeah. finder there too. Like whenever my son comes with me now, he's always got a range finder okay. just in case, you know, I sure. mean, if I'm at full draw, you know, he can range something for me. And yeah. I, last time we were out, he was actually, uh, he got a little bit bored. So I, I just told him like range that tree or like, guess guess how far away it yep. is and then range it, you know, T- practice Isn't your it funny yardage judging. is how shitty some of your guesses are? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, for me generally under like 40, I'm pretty good. Okay. But like, especially when I get into rifle ranges, man, yeah. like I, I've looked
0: at things and thought they were like 250 and they're 600.
1: Man. I'm like, like I'm the other way. I, I saw a uh, a bull elk with Brad and, and I was kind of thinking about like, okay, so if I was going to stalk that bull, I'd have to drop down into the valley, get up above him, you know, come back down. Like I was like, so what would your approach be here? And he's like, Drop my fucking pack and shoot it. You know, yeah. what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, how far away is that thing? He's like, this is like 250. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I thought it was like five, 600 yards, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I'm never estimating rifle distances. It I'm-
0: really depends too on what's in between you and the thing. Like yeah. If you're shooting yeah. across any type of gap, it's almost impossible to mm. judge, to judge like really long distances like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the flatter stuff is like where you have more cues, you mm. know what I mean? I think it's a little bit easier, but certain circumstances. And that's why I've heard even at 3D shoots, those like the gap ones are like some of the hardest ones because there's tricks at 3Ds. Like you could cut the distance cut, in half, yeah, right? You yeah. can't do that when there's a big n- slope. When there's nothing yeah. there. Yeah, and especially severe distances will make it really
1: tricky For too. sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, man. I think that's, that about wraps it up. Congratulations on your buck.
1: Thank you, sir. I forgot for a second time in a row to bring me pepperoni. Now I got two packs with your name on it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, Well, thanks for coming by, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Beautiful studio you got here. Yeah.
0: Well, I need to have, I need to have more guests. And it's like, what's the point? Yeah. Take advantage.
1: When you don't have people come over. You build it, they will come.
0: And I think it's better in person. Like Zoom is kind of like, I mean, we've got, we've made it Mm do, but I think. A podcast just has
1: such a better vibe. Better flow, yeah. In person. Yeah.
0: All right, man. All right, everybody. As usual, if you could take a moment and engage with the podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to go to mindfulhunter.com slash shop, pick yourself up a t-shirt, a hat, whatever. It helps everything I do here at the Mindful Hunter. And as always, thanks for tuning in.